You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Sazza, somewhat live from Lane Stadium. Welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, is this the day that Neil Brown became president? <laughs> it's moving in the right direction. I think, you know, this was this was the opportunity. This was the setup. Um, you know, when you when you miss out on something like the way they missed out on Kansas, you just hope for that opportunity. And I think the fact that, that Towson was next might actually work in their favor to kind of get warmed back up. But this was the one that kind of helps get you back in the good graces and set you back on the right track. The schedule we talked about a bunch and how it it was just weird. You know, two Thursday night games against rivals on the road, that quirky arrangement with a conference game in the second week of the season. And I've had individuals that I've had uh, the opportunity to talk with in the recent weeks. That game kind of spooked West Virginia for a while because not only did Kansas play kind of a, a, a uh, I would say impressive, but also kind of a, a, an ominous game against West Virginia at the end of last season. And the turnaround would be quick, but West Virginia kind of suspected that Kansas was maybe up to something with their offseason moves and some of the whispers out of there. And all of a sudden you see parts of it against or against the team they played first, and all of a sudden Kansas comes in and has a totally different offense, and West Virginia isn't prepared for it. But think about the first two weeks. You lose, obviously, but you get some experience on a Thursday night in a hostile environment on national television. You really have to address the defensive deficiencies and you have to kind of own up to some of your mistakes and you have to play better, even if you played well, if you're going to not repeat that. And the defense has been good the last two games. One is predictable, of course, and then seemed completely unaffected by the environment tonight, Chris. Maybe one or two moments here, but by and large, nothing of significance in the environment that would make you think that they were spooked by it. And maybe it's because they got it first out of their system. But here we are after two weeks of the season, people thought maybe this was over. Not even two weeks later, it's back even again. Yeah. I I think on the environment part, I was thinking, even though obviously that the game was in lane stadium, it was in Blacksburg. It felt like the the Virginia tech team was out of it Uh, at times, obviously seemed a little overhyped all these penalties and, just as I noted in the thread and on, on social media, so I guess I'll trifecta it here and repeat it here. Like, they weren't just penalties. They were egregiously obvious, ridiculous penalties at the worst times. Like, there there was no debate about any of them. You, you know, so many of these plays, so many of these penalties are, um, you know, it's up to the eye, eye of the beholder type plays that the refs have to make a judgment call on. There's no judgment call to be made on any of these. It was just so very clearly penalties on Virginia Tech. Like, they were too amped up. Like, this game was too big for them to handle, uh, you know, between the ears. And and, and just kind of caught up with them. And, and like you said, West Virginia seemed completely poised. Between the ears. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, West Virginia came in 99th in the country in penalties. Not great. 
You know what's worse? Virginia Tech, which came in 109th with 25 penalties. Tonight, 15 <laughs> or 132 yards. Some of them were just in really bad spots. You know, In the course of a drive, extending West Virginia possessions with yardage or first downs. Uh, moving the offense behind the chains when, you know, standing in their own way was a difficult thing. And then you also add some distance in there. It's going to be harder. Just just didn't seem like it was a very, I mean, it wasn't a composed team. And, and West Virginia looked composed. Frustrated at times by only being able to kick field goals and some red zone possessions. But there there's a really perhaps signature sequence if this does turn the way that the team wants at the end of the first half. Kick a field goal, kind of grit your teeth and say, okay, we got to get the ball back. They do get the ball back. With a minute and 11 left, they use 50 seconds and go get a touchdown. Um, and they kind of flipped the keys to their quarterback and said, hey, go do this. And he did. And five of six, 70 yards, touchdown pass to Sam James. Chris, the better quarterback tonight won, the better offense won. And we've said it again, whether it's been videos we've shared stories we've written anecdotes we've talked about but on the field tonight you really saw what the quarterback position means to a team and what pedigree of that position means is your both transfer quarterbacks tonight that are new to the offense and the difference was stark i think and ultimately very significant and it kind of goes to how this offense has kept itself together despite you know two losses but it just seems like jt daniels is that kind of guy he does make that type of a difference yeah, absolutely. I think right there towards the end of that first half and Virginia Tech gets the ball. I think there's a minute 50 left and they're getting it on their own 25. And somebody forgot to tell Brent Pry that he has Grant Wells, not JT Daniels, because they came out slinging it. Not not this whole let's run some safe screen plays and maybe some, you know, spread it out, try to run, see if we can get a couple chunks of yards and then we'll make a decision about whether to really really push for some points before half or, or pack it in, they went for it hard. Like, again, as if they had some this this juggernaut of an offense. And I, I tell you what, it, you know, if, if the rules were, rever- were reversed or we were covering Virginia Tech, we'd probably have to set aside an entire 20-minute segment to discuss that decision because as it was happening – I was like, this is so this is so stupid. What are they doing? This is such a terrible idea. It, this offense is not suited for this. This offense is not suited for Virginia Tech to to go up the field and score like this. It's not going to happen. Sure enough, they punt, penalty. West Virginia starts at the 30, cruise right down, score a touchdown. Yeah, I, I mean, I know it got back within a score after that, but it felt like, and Neil Brown kind of insinuated it during his postgame press conference that was it like that that touchdown happened and i was like yeah that's that should just about do it right there because i just don't see it hammers home the point that west virginia's offense is is legit that it was going to be able to move the ball and virginia tech can't and so the second half second half seemed like a foregone conclusion after that yeah it felt like tech was pushing the boulder uphill the entire time especially late first half on throughout the second half and, and just didn't have the answers on offense. And the defense, you know, kind of made the mistakes that have been typical of West Virginia frustrating losses in the past. Um, and if I told you, Chris, that, you know, JT Daniels would go on the road and throw for 200 yards, that Tony Mathis would get 38 yards rushing, that Bryce Ford Wheaton would have three catches, 
that West Virginia would fumble twice, duff a punt, kick three field goals in the red zone. <laughs> that's that's a recipe for a loss. And this that's the that's the way West Virginia has lost. Like, yeah, like that. That is that is the perfect way or like the most like I mean, you you covered it right there. Like that's how West Virginia has lost the last couple of years. Yeah. Just everything you said. And the tech touchdown is a goofy play by a defensive back who just wasn't watching. Um, And that also gets to our point where things change for West Virginia. Just a number of things that went in the visiting team's way. And we talked about this during the game. There's a bobble punt or excuse me, a bobble kickoff by Virginia tech and the guy kicks it in the other direction, picks it up and darn near breaks it. They get a tackle. Um, a deep ball up the rail bounces off a receiver's face mask. Um, Reese Smith does duff a punt. It rolls out of bounds. Like the, the Virginia tech defender falls on it. It kicks out of bounds. Uh, just a series of things went West Virginia's way. And then we're talking about, you know, working out kinks and exercising demons. It gets no more poignant to me than lining up to go for it on fourth and one in a foot on the throat kind of moment. The offensive line flinches and it's fourth and six and they went for it and they got it. And the story had a happy ending where again, there's so many, there are so many forks in this road where it could have gone a different way for West Virginia and it didn't. And I don't know the opposition may not be great. This may be the second Worst opponent they played at four, it doesn't matter. Because if he doesn't win this one, it's a very different story for Neil Brown. But he's got a 23-point road win against Virginia Tech. And if he wanted style points at the end, he probably could have. They started taking knees with like two minutes left. Um, I, I can't think of a, of a of an easier way to say this. And like who they were was not who they – I guess who they were in the first couple of games was not who they were tonight. And maybe who they were in the first couple of years under Brown was not who they were tonight. And there were moments where it could have gone the other way. And it didn't, and it worked out for them. Okay, so you you touched on it briefly there, and I'd like to just go ahead and get it out of the way now, so that we can then get to the the sunshiny stuff. Um, so if if you're if you're not looking for something negative after this win, just hit that quick little fifteen second or thirty second uh, button on your on your tablet, your phone, whatever. Skip past this part because I want to make something pretty clear here, and I, I made it clear in my rapid reactions piece on the board. Virginia Tech is not a good football team. You, you, I think you just said what the second second worst. Yeah, like uh, they're they're def- definitively worse than Pittsburgh, worse than Kansas, and I don't even think it's close. I mean, obviously they're not as bad as Towson, but yeah, I think saying this was the second easiest game so far. I I don't want to get into hyperbole, but I might right now. Could this be? When we look back at the end of the season, the second easiest game of the entire season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's not hyperbole, right? No. And here's what's crazy is that two weeks ago, the post-game conversation, you can't lose to Texas. And the big bad two weeks down the road was a Thursday night game in Lean Stadium. And as we've talked about, it was not that tonight. You know, the monster was in the closet. The monster stayed under the bed. It didn't. It didn't happen tonight like you thought it might. Um, so who knows? But that's kind of why patience and pragmatism is kind of important during a long 12-game regular season here because we've seen some ups and downs, and something that you thought might be one thing is not the other. And we learned that in a pretty breakneck pace already this season. Yeah. So you want to get to the positives now, now that we've already killed everybody's spirits? Yeah. I want. One more thing I talked about, like, I don't want to say lucky break, but, like, you know, Wes McCormick, 
in man to man, doesn't see the ball. It's a touchdown. They put Jacoby Spells in the game. Um, he gets beat really bad, doesn't commit the penalty, and they just overthrow a touchdown pass. Um, guess who made the play of the game, Chris? Yeah, Jacoby Spells. So if they connect on that pass, maybe Spells isn't playing, and maybe he doesn't pick that ball off. You know, so it's it's weird things like that, and I don't know. It's it's not omens, and it's not. I know star-crossed stuff, but there's a lot of reasons to think that you know this was meant to be, maybe. But also, West Virginia made it to be too with the way it played. You saw some conviction by the coaches and the players, and I would imagine that behind closed doors, the past couple of weeks has been that way too. Um, and pretty much what they vowed was going to happen, or what had to happen, is what they've done, and what has happened since then. And, and I, I, I think you kind of have to. You really don't leave yourself any choice but to get on board right now because. So far, so good when it comes to their recovery plan. So yeah. please proceed with the niceties. Well, I mean, let's let's uh, go with what we were just talking about there with spells coming in. And I think I liked what I saw. I'm, extre- I'm extremely intrigued by parts of it. Some of it I'm unsure of, curious about. I, I don't know about this defense. But what I did like was exactly what you just mentioned there. Somebody screwed up. And this again, this is something I think I've talked about the last couple of weeks and we've talked about for years now. Somebody screwed up. They said, all right, next up, making a change. McCormick screwed up. Hey, Spells, get in there. You know, the changes that they've made on defense, uh, they started them against Towson. Now, and then I think we got a little bit of vanilla against Towson for obvious reasons. Starters were only playing, you know, what, they, I don't even think they made it to halftime for, for most of them. But today you saw it the whole way. And there were some wild lineups out there. And we can discuss if they worked or didn't work or how it's all going to work. But the fact that the coaching staff said, okay, what we were doing wasn't working. So that we're changing it. We're going to do something different. And I like to see that. I love to see that from coaches. I love to see that, uh, you know, adapting as the season goes along. And I, I, I wrote it down at one point, West Virginia, with their lineup and the way they lined up. Now, I know this obviously isn't the, the scheme. But it was a a five one five look. It, it it was three traditional down linemen. It was weird. And then I believe it was it was um X three low or no no it was Lee Koba and Jarrett Bartlett, the Mike and the Bandit. But they were lined up on the line like two edge rushers, so it was five down linemen. And then they just had one linebacker in the box, which was actually not the Mike linebacker. It was the Will. In X3 low, then they had the former Will Lance Dixon, who switched to Spear last week, lining up like a just flat out, I mean, like a Spear, like a traditional slot corner in a five defensive backfield look. And you saw moves like that. I mean, at one point, I was just like, I, I don't know about this whole, you know, Linnell Carr moving converted defensive lineman to uh, slot corner. I don't know if that's going to work because there were several times where he was just in flat pass coverage. And I don't know if that was a case of tech going tempo and they couldn't get a, a sub package in or what, but I was like, Hey, that's, that's probably not a good idea, but they're doing things. They're changing things up. They're trying to figure out what worked because what happened to Kansas obviously did not work. Five one five is unusual. <laughs> I, I was watching it going, this is an unusual thing, but again, like they have an idea and, and you're, you're not going to know unless you try, like you don't know, what you don't know. And I think what's frustrated people, whether it's people who, you know, are, are fans of the program or are frustrated by the program, you know, support opposition, whatever, is that, you know, where is accountability? Eh, 
That's a good point. Sometimes maybe they know more than we do, but you see people make mistakes. You see people who don't play very well, and they get back out there, and they repeat the mistakes and the poor performances, and you say, something's not right here. And, again, I think the Kansas game probably makes you confront a lot of perception and reality situations, and they chose perception to be fact in a lot of that. And we've seen some changes since then. And I'll just say this, like, anecdotally, like, Taj Austin's made two important plays last two games. Like, you know, forced a fumble or maybe recover the fumble last game. Uh, had a sack tonight. That was important. Small stuff. And then, you know, the 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 Lance Dixon thing, he played just a handful of snaps and looked like he was athletic enough to run around out there and do some stuff. Lee Cobas played better last couple weeks. I thought Marcus Floyd was, you know, okay tonight. Wasn't a, wasn't a bad thing. Broke up a pass, too. So, again, maybe that's a good thing with the Kansas game. It, it, not that it happened, but, like, you can make it work for you in some regard. And I think that was something that... Brown talked about at the end of the game tonight, too, is that you really have no choice. You have to do something with it, and they did. And when you have that game happen and you have no choice, what what is the fix going to be? It better be on defense. And where does defense begin? They're not going to overhaul their game plan because it's their scheme and what they do, and they teach it for so long. But who they use and who they teach, that can change. And I think that's been redeeming so far. Like, you've seen a number of different players in the defensive backfield now with, you know, Hershey McClure playing, Jacoby Spells getting in. I think there's going to be more permanent fixtures back there, too. Defensive line has rotated in more people. You know, Caden Visor played a little bit more tonight than I think expected. Um, they're trying and they're getting answers. And and for a performance that asked a lot of questions, they certainly gave some answers out there tonight too. And and that's good because you know, it was Towson a tune-up. Maybe it's Towson good. No, but you're looking at eight quarters now where one touchdown um, and a field goal and you know kind of a goofy play by the defensive back on the touchdown. And, and making a lot of plays tonight, too, just to, to only give up 10 points. That's that's two pretty good games when they were under siege. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think I, I don't, again, don't want to go so far as to say I'm feeling good about West Virginia's secondary right now, but I like that they're making changes. I like that they're trying things. I like that they're rotating guys in to see what's going to work. I did have one question from tonight. And I want you to tell me if you noticed it, if I'm, creating it in my mind because I apparently I created my mind in that Kansas game that I felt like they were in man a lot and they weren't uh, they were in zone so I think I guess I just hallucinated that but I didn't see a lot of pressure from West Virginia's defensive line tonight like I didn't see them get to Grant Wells at least I, I marked down and I'm not sure I said 424 of the third quarter was that the first pressure from the defensive line because after that, I think they got to him a little bit. I know Austin got a sack mm-hmm. late in the third or, or into the fourth. And Sean Martin got after him a couple times. But as far as like a true pressure on the quarterback, I don't really recall one for the, like, the first two and a half quarters of the game. Yeah, Is that something probably, you noticed or no? I'd say you're probably right there. And I wonder about this because I thought they I had to look at the numbers and all that stuff. But they, they were playing almost primarily zone the first couple of games. What was happening? It wasn't good. They were getting caught up in, in bad situations. They were getting gashed in open spaces and all that. Um, obviously, the first two games, not the third one. But it seemed tonight they played more man than they had. Um, and and maybe you don't want to blitz a guy like Wells in man and, and get yeah. sloppy, get out of lanes. Because would you trust your pass rush right now, Chris? Would you trust second-level defenders coming through? I'd be a little bit worried about that. And then all of a sudden, Wells, who's probably a better athlete than he certainly shows on a quarterback power play on fourth and short, <laughs> after a timeout um oh my he, god he does move. imagine he our does podcast move. if we were covering that team right now yeah that that does that, that's a guy who does make some plays and, and can move around a little bit and they trust him to do some things and i wonder if you're blitzing him 
then you're making things really difficult if you got your defensive backs and man. I don't think they were scared of their receivers at all. And they said, you know what, we're going to go man. We're going to. And there, there were times they put Davis Mallinger in a guy one on one, didn't work, but he's running with him. There were times they had Aubrey Burks or Marcus Floyd running one on one. They dropped him down to cover four or five receivers. And Tech took their shots. Tech played five wide a couple of times in that game and they'll put a running back and or a tight end out in the slot to see what they could do because they said we're going to get man can we beat them and couldn't like wells did not make them pay very rarely and, and the touchdowns one exception but you know he had times where he had to be precise in contested coverage and it didn't work so my, my hunch here chris to answer your question is one you're correct they did not pressure a whole lot or they couldn't get home i, I don't think that they were sending a whole lot beyond that and if you're rushing three or four and you're outnumbered that's going to be hard so you know it's a numbers game sometimes can five rushers beat five one-on-one blocks maybe and, and there were times where again it was it was five receivers out could they have rushed on that maybe but i really wonder if like they didn't do a whole lot because they just said can we can we negate some of the risk by not blitzing in front of man or just not blitzing period and leaving our guys in a bad situation and Whatever the plan was that we either perceive it to be or it actually was, it, it, it did work pretty well. So could they have more pressure? Sure, but I don't think anybody's going to complain about that one. Yeah, no, I think I agree with you. I think with somebody like Wells, this is probably one you want to go uh, drop in seven, drop in eight a little more than maybe somebody else. So it's fine. I just It's just something that I, I wrote down. I said, was that the first pressure, you know, 424, the fourth quarter, third quarter? Um, speaking of pressure, Transition to offense. O line looked good. Actually, actually, I don't. I don't even want to put that inflection of a question on there. O line looked good. Period. Uh, exclamation point. Actually, instead of question mark, because I, I think at one point I, I I gave it like a a B minus passing pass blocking B plus run grade, and then after that it got even better. So I would say something along the lines of like a B to a B plus for pass blocking. I do think they let Daniels get pressured a little bit, um, but the run blocking was exquisite tonight. Uh, they blitzed a lot. Yeah. Pressured a lot. And I don't think Daniels got hit nearly as much as he did in that pit game um, where they got a lot of pressure and Pitt's defense is better, but so much better that you would expect the difference to be between those two games we saw tonight. I'm not sure about that. Um, I feel like Virginia Tech maybe manufactured pressure a little bit better than Pitt. Pitt could just go on their defensive line. I don't think that Tech did that quite as well, but still got home. But the pocket was there for Daniels. Very rarely was he really made to to hasten a play, which is good. Um, I thought that they handled a lot of good things on the defensive line, especially, as you noted, in the interior. Um, That was good. That was good to see for for that guard center guard that I think that we highlighted. I know we highlighted and we thought was going to be an important part of the game tonight. And then when stuff came off the edge, you know, it, it really wasn't a problem because their tackles were good tonight. Uh, Hubbard and Yates seemed fine with me out there. They rotated him a little bit. That was good. I, I wonder what's going to happen now at that right side because Hubbard has played an awful lot. Uh, hasn't been an embarrassment. White's not played a whole lot. Do you really put White back in the guard when Nestor's been comfortable and, and there's a thing going now with Nestor and Hubbard? That's curious to me. And then I think it should be said, too, because we were hard on them early in the season. Uh, the tight ends have played played pretty well tonight. Um, in blocking and pass protection did some things in the run obviously too but brian palendi didn't look great against pitt um got moved around a couple times got got flipped a couple times it didn't look great he looked like he belonged out there tonight that's good those are two blockers that can you know can suffice as extra offensive linemen whether individually or or combined and they can answer some questions when a team is, is really pressuring you too so offensive line good 
tight ends helped out a lot. And then if, if you can keep Daniels upright and comfortable, he's too smart. Like he's going to make a good decision and he's going to see something coming before it's there. And if you give him enough time to actualize what he visualizes, you're going to be effective on offense. I have apparently lost my mind because would you like to take a guess how many? Now this is the uh, stat broadcast. So this is the official, right? Official scorekeeping of the game for the NCAA. Yes. I, I think so. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, would you like to guess how many quarterback hurries Virginia Tech had in this game on, on JT Daniels? I'm going to guess it's a low number because um, I can only remember him really, and it was a bad snap that I think maybe hit the ground. Um, if it's more than two, I'd be surprised. It was zero according to this. I mean, really? but they, it looks like they're not counting sacks. So I get zero hurries, one sack. So I guess one pressure according to stat broadcast. Again, it, it felt like it was more than that. Not like, like it was a ton. Again, I think I said like a B to a B plus for pass blocking. So it was solid, but mm-hmm. I apparently lost my mind. So speaking to wrap it up here, Chris, um, here's a team that had to had to field a low a low grounder here and and didn't it went between their legs early in the season and, and it looked bad um but got back up it dealt with the lows and the best you can be right now is two and two and after an own two start for the first time in 43 years to be two and two is not what anybody wanted four weeks ago i think they would have taken it two weeks ago so that's good um, the big question now is how do they handle highs because you know smoking an fcs team that's a feel-good thing. They got right. They felt like they sharpened some things and polished some things and brought it out here tonight, and it worked. And now you got a rivalry game on the road, and you feel really good because this is not a, not a team that was supposed to come in here and win, never mind by 23, and did. Uh, Texas a little different, and now you're going on the road to Austin with a little bit extra rest, and they'll be a little bit more taxed than, than West Virginia is. How do you expect this team, having navigated what it has already, to handle the highs? They are earned. They could be dangerous as well, though. I think because they're earned, they'll do just fine. I think the fact that they hit what was at the time perceived to be rock bottom after that Kansas game, that it it kind of refocused them. And I I don't think this is going to be one of those overinflated kind of uh, uh, moments for this program. I think these guys are going to realize, you know, they hit the bottom of the bottom after that loss to Kansas 0-2. And I don't think they view Towson as something that changed anything. Maybe this win at Virginia Tech does a little bit. I honestly think I would be a little more concerned about that transition from Texas back to Baylor. Like if West Virginia is able to go to Austin and win at Texas, likely as an underdog. Uh, Again, Longhorns ranked in the top 25 on the road, all that stuff. If West Virginia is able to win there, I'd be more worried about the performance they might put on coming back for Baylor the week after that, because Baylor will be in the top 25. That is that homecoming. Or is that TCU? I honestly don't know. I don't have my promotional. Okay. With me. I don't either. But, you know, I'd be more worried about that transition than I would this right now. I don't think it I don't think they're as high. I don't think they're flying close enough to the sun here to, to really come crashing down yet. All right, there you have it. <laughs> All is well. Seat, considerably cooler. Yes. Hot boards, put in the shelf. <laughs> Buyout money, go into a new IPF. Stop sending WhatsApp messages to 
Hugh Freeze. Got it. Yes, please. That should about do it here from Blacksburg, Virginia. West Virginia wins back-to-back games against Virginia Tech. First time here in 18 years, and they can't possibly play again before 2031. They probably won't play again before 2036. Uh, that Black Diamond trophy is going to be in Morgantown for quite some time. And uh, for tonight, there is no doubt as to who should own it. I don't think anybody in Morgantown will apologize. Absolutely not. Until then. I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.